the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this 820 AM The Word broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. This is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministry Development for 820 AM The Word. I've got a special guest with me today. Her name is Tiffany Betancourt. She's a part of the women's campus at Absolute Ministries, and uh, our good friend Cameron Burke, who's uh, been a part of Absolute for a long time, posted on Facebook a while back a little story about Tiffany. And I saw that story, and I thought, we need to hear your story on Heart of the City. So welcome this morning, thank you, Tiffany, to Heart of the City. And uh, how long have you been involved with uh, Absolute Ministries? A uh, year and a half. A year and a half. Mm-hmm. So you're at the women's campus now, which is where? It's in Spanaway, Washington. It's in Spanaway. So down south in Pierce County, near Tacoma. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the the desire for this program is to have people share their stories. And sometimes they're tough stories, but they always come around to showing how faithful God is in our lives. Right. And that's what I love about hearing stories is sometimes they're not really very pleasant at times, but yet God shows up in some marvelous ways. And I think he's done that in your life as I read a little bit on Facebook about you. So let's start at the beginning Yeah. as far as where you grew up and uh, what life was like for you as a little kid. Yeah. So I grew up in Des Moines, Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandpa is a pastor, so I knew the Lord as a child. I didn't have a relationship with Jesus, though, because I just believed in Jesus because my grandpa said, <laughs> and whatever grandpa said must be true. Exactly. So, um, I uh, grew up in a really great family. My mom's a child of seven, and I had two brothers and sisters. Um, eventually, in high school, I kind of got away from church life and you know what I knew, and I started trying to fit in, and I started messing around with drugs a little bit here and there. Um, eventually I met a guy who was highly abusive, uh, right out of high school and we got married and had a kid. Hmm. Um, and when, let's see, probably three years into the very emotionally abusive and physically abusive relationship, I finally left him. I met another man who I had a, my son with, and, um, I drank a lot during that pregnancy, um, and my son was born and had some learning disabilities from that. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of guilt and shame from that. Um, and so at that point, I had pretty much just been a drinker here and there. Um, and then in 2009, my brother, who was 13 months younger than me, he passed away due to um, awful events, drug-related. And um, that kind of flipped my world upside down. I... Mm-hmm. Um, left my kids and with my mom and I started drinking again heavy. I would drink so much that I 
had to wake up in the morning and first thing I did was drink so I could quit shaking. Um, it just felt hard to breathe losing him. And, um, I didn't care about anything or anyone except for getting loaded. And eventually I met another guy who introduced me to heroin and, um, it didn't take very long before he, uh, heroin took me out. And it was, I went from never having a parking ticket to being homeless. I ripped off everybody I knew. I eventually started shooting meth so I could stay awake and chase heroin. Um, my family eventually wouldn't talk to me. I wasn't allowed to see my children and they were separated. Um, let's see. And well, let's let's step back for a second because yeah. there's a, a that uh, three minutes of descrip- des- description. I'm sure there was a lot happening mm-hmm. uh, in that first experience. What was your what was your grandpa going through during that time? Is is yeah. he saw his 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 little Tiffany, mm-hmm. who he loved and adored, starting to go down a path that he knew was very destructive. What was happening in your family at that time? To so when my brother died, I remember um, my grand- sitting in the car with my grandpa, and he, I was like, Grandpa, you know, like I just questioned everything. Like, is God real? Hmm. Um, what if he isn't? What if he's not real? Then where's my brother? Um, what if we're wrong? And Grandpa said, well, I think that if you look and you search, uh, God will answer those questions. And then I was, you know, at this point, I hadn't been able to see my kids in a while, but my grandparents, they were the only people who would answer the phone for me. I mean, everybody was so fed up. I would go to jail and they were literally the only people who would pick up the phone. And I would say, Grandpa, I want to go to treatment. And he'd say, okay. And he'd pay and put me in treatment. And three days later, I would leave treatment and I would run again and I would go to jail and I would call my grandparents and Grandpa would answer the phone and just tell me that he loves me. And I would be like, so sorry. You know, um, I just, just please put me in treatment again. And he never did it. Not okay. Let's try it again. Put me in another treatment program. A week later I would leave, but he always answered the phone for me, you know? Mm. And uh, I was like, do you think that if I get my life together, I would be able to see my kids again? And he's, uh, do you think my mom would let me see my kids again? And he said, sweetheart, I think that if you get your life together, God will let you see your kids again. Mm. And so, um, grandpa and I were extremely close growing up, but they were just a light in a dark place, you know, not enabling way, but just always there to, you know, show me Jesus's love. I think that him and my grandma were the best living um, example of the Lord's love to me, unconditional. I could have done the most heinous crime and he would never look at me any different. Hmm. Yeah. Sometimes people need that in their lives, yeah. don't they? And he was it. That was it. Yeah. Nobody would have anything to do with me and everybody... They say it now. I thought I was so far gone that you know they all, yeah. everybody wrote me off. So during those times, after you'd lost your your kids and before you really started going down heroin, did you have conversations with the Lord? Did you talk to Him? Did you pray to Him? Did you just did you think about Him? Mm-hmm. What what were some of what was going through your head? Um, I was angry. Um, angry I, about your brother? Uh huh. Angry. I didn't understand. Um, in jail every time I would go to jail. I mean, I went from never having a parking ticket to, you know, having, you know, countless arrests, um, you know, over 70 run-ins with police. Just I couldn't stay out of jail. And I would, every time you go to jail, you know, it's very easy to find the Lord there. Mm. (laughs) It's it's very interesting. (laughs) But I knew, you know, I knew. And so I, I would, I, I, when I got to the end of it, I thought, 
God, if you don't save me, like I'm going to die with a needle in my arm. Mm -hmm. So I knew, you know, um, I, his hand was there the whole time. I can remember times when people would help me. Uh, the Lord told me to stop and give you this, you know, and I thought, wow, that's, Mm -hmm. you know, and I still remember those times now Mm -hmm. thinking that was God's hand in it the whole time. And the crazy things I went through that I should have never lived through. Mm -hmm. Um, I always thought, wow, that had to be God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the reason why I, I ask some of these questions is I know that there are people listening today who they may not have gone through that depth of an addiction, but they probably have a loved one who is either right. on that road or or is in that situation. And I love to hear your story because it helps people understand there is hope. Yeah. Because many people think that uh, an addict is a hopeless situation. The, right. The idea of going through multiple recoveries, multi- multiple, uh, you know, recovery programs, and then walking back out and going back in, back into the same thing over and over and over again, it's like there really is no hope. The reality is there is hope. Right. And you're a reflection of that. Yes. Yeah. So I, I lived under a bridge and slept on a pallet for many, many, many years. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that because yeah. uh, you talk to people who have done meth, Mm-hmm. and who have gone the heroin route, and it seems like, well, I have some whole feelings about marijuana being a gateway drug, right. but yeah. we'll, we'll, we won't go that direction. Right. We'll, we'll talk about what the, how much damage to your head meth and right. heroin does. Talk, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, so when I first got clean, I had a hard, I went into a program, and I had a hard time uh, sitting still. I had a hard time. I couldn't memorize anything. I couldn't... Um, I mean, it just totally fried my brains out. It's a miracle of God that I have my wits about me and am as sharp as I am because I think it even blows my family's mind because mm. there's people out there who, you know, do drugs and they just can't uh, retain information anymore. Mm-hmm. But I think that um, being in recovery for so long, watching so many other people go through it, that even when you think people's minds are so far gone, like God has a way of healing it and the brain heals itself. And Mm -hmm. it just honestly takes time. Mm -hmm. And I think the word has a lot to do with that. Absolutely. You know, I had a friend, this was back in the seventies in the, I'm telling my age, I sound like an old man, but his name was Barry, came out of the drug culture in the, in the late sixties, early seventies. Barry couldn't even finish a sentence. Mm-hmm. When you talk to Barry, it's like this guy's mind is gone from I don't know what he did, you know. <laughs> but it was amazing. Barry got saved and and loved the Lord and loved the Word. And it was it's so fascinating to think about the the years as they progressed and how Barry was so absorbed in the Word and how his mind was was renewed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, not only just from a spiritual point of view, but just from a, a, a thinking process where yeah. that mind gets renewed yeah. from the Word of God. And yeah. so that kind of has happened to you as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. And so the program I was in, we would read our Word every day. And it, I don't, I couldn't memorize the Scriptures, but they were getting in. And I think that it just had a lot to do with, you know, cleaning yeah. my mind. And yeah. I mean, now I, I can. Yeah. At first it was just hard because my brain wasn't healthy. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that does take some time. Yeah. So you started down. Did you know when you when you first started taking heroin or started doing meth? Did you did you really know what the ramifications were? Or did you care? Um, I don't think that I really cared. I didn't know a lot about heroin or meth. Uh, wasn't really my thing in high school. It was more pot and drinking and stuff like that. Um, 
but it was just so quick, you know. And I think that I just honestly really didn't care. I mean, I ended up, you know, in prostitution. I've got, you know, a record for that and doing whatever I had to do to get that drug. So it is um, thinking now on the person that I was and the people I would hurt to get it and uh, uh, whatever I would do to get those drugs is it's so far beyond, like, even thinking that it's the same life to me. Mm. It almost seems like a dream. Mm-hmm. What was your mindset when when you were stealing from people you loved? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, did did you feel guilty or did you just feel like you were entitled? It didn't really matter. I just wanted to get high. Yeah, that was it. All that's like I think that's uh, what heroin does to people. We you can't focus on anything else but getting high, and you don't care if you hurt your kids or lose your kids. Or and in my case, my kids were taken, but they were in family's care, so they were safe. Mm-hmm. So to me, it was, you know, like a free ticket. Yeah. Like, oh, now I can just do whatever I want. My kids are good. That was one less thing to worry about. Because mm-hmm. you still cared about your kids. Right. They were, they were, they're okay. They're safe. Yeah. I'm going to mm-hmm. go, I'm going to party. And sometimes when I was in jail, I, I mean, I always miss my mom, you know, but she had lost one kid to drugs and she just couldn't lose another and she had to save who she could save. So she saved my kids, mm-hmm. you know, to keep them from me being loaded around them and not showing up. And mm-hmm. so, but I would miss her a lot. And I would always think about my family uh, when I was clean enough to do so in jail. Now, your grandpa, he he was always available. Yep. There were others that, that, do you feel like that they gave up on you or that they just had to set boundaries? Uh, so, and it has been said by... Um, Many of my family members that they just gave up, they really thought I would never come back because what heroin addict, I mean, I've lost my arms to heroin almost. I have, you know, uh, nerve damage. And for, who comes back from living under a bridge addicted to heroin for that long? You know, it was like it there looked like there was no hope. Yeah. And so they literally have told me like they, you know, now it's like, gosh, they can't believe they gave up on me. But they're really, you know, just didn't look like. Yeah. Nobody comes back from that, really, and you hear about it, you know? Yeah. Well, so talk to me about that then experience. You got into, hooked into heroin very quickly and mm-hmm. methamphetamines and became homeless. So yep. you, you, you said you lived under a bridge. Tell yep. me about that. Yeah, so I uh, lived under an overpass over by um, a mission in Tacoma. And um, I was just telling my cousins yesterday that I uh, remember waking up and my blankets would be iced over. And um, you, I think that you're just so loaded a lot of the time you don't realize the cold weather and the, you know, all the things going on around you. It just got to feel normal. Um, you get comfortable in that chaos that looks like something you couldn't understand if you've never used. But when you're an addict, it kind of, that just feels normal. Hmm. Like you get comfortable under a bridge. It's, it's the craziest thing. Yeah. Were you able to develop a relationship with other homeless people in the mm-hmm. sense of, you know, you were kind of had each other's back? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And now uh, being where we are now, we go out and feed homeless in Tacoma. And so it's interesting to go back there um, where I'm at now and be able to run into people that I knew. Um, and, you know, just they never see nobody come back. They almost can't believe, you know, they take pictures with me and, uh-huh. you know, because yeah. that's how crazy I was uh-huh. on drugs. Like they just can't. They're like, man, nobody's going to believe it if we don't get a picture. Right. You know, and so right. it's cool that I can show them that it can be done because mm-hmm. I don't remember anybody ever coming back, hmm. even the ones that did get clean. And, you know, and, and yeah, yeah. So during that time, 
did you have conversations with the Lord while you're under a bridge? How many? How long were you living under a bridge? Gosh, off and on for eight years. Eight years. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, crashing on couches when I could. I get a hotel room when I could, but it was just very far and few between. Wow. And there's a whole, you know, like you guys know in Seattle, there's a whole community out there. Well, I live in Everett, mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes I take the train at the Everett uh, from the Everett train station in the mornings, and I I take the early train. So I'm typically at five thirty-five in the morning, going right past the Everett Gospel Mission, right next to Everett mm-hmm. Gospel Mission is an is an overpass, and that's where the homeless are, um, and they put a fence. So because there were so many tents around there, and they put a fence uh, on the sidewalk to kind of keep people from but they still stay there overnight yeah and you know i drive by there in the winter time you know and there's still i drove by a couple days ago there's a guy sitting there with shorts on you know and Mm -hmm. it's it's 30 degrees out and and he's just sitting there like normal and you're telling me as i'm listening to you i'm seeing these people and it's like they're just kind of thinking this is normal yeah absolutely and and i think that how you were saying uh seeing the lord while i was out there at the mission and just walking around people doing what I get to do now is just passing out a sandwich or, you know, we'll go to McDonald's and just grab a $41 cheeseburgers and go out and feed people that we can find. And I remember, uh, because I had a, I knew the Lord as a child, uh, when people would come up to me from ministries and on the street, sometimes homeless can feel judged and they don't want to be around church people. Uh, but I remember feeling comfortable and just feeling like oh, a sandwich you know like yeah. thank you jesus yeah <laughs> peanut yeah. butter and jelly sandwich was the best thing in the world you could get <laughs> right but those are little ways i i knew god sent them to you know and so you felt that the lord sent them mm-hmm. you you yeah. knew that i knew that they were there you know mm-hmm. they love jesus mm-hmm. and that they were good and not judging that's what i felt like so you're listening to heart of the city i'm chuck olmstead and with me is tiffany betancourt she's with absolute ministries if you want to know more about absolute ministries you can go to absoluteministries.org so you're living under a bridge off and on for eight years you're a heroin meth addict yeah so what happened so I got arrested. Um, I remember being extremely loaded. I was arrested by the same cop over and over and over again on violations, and he just would never let me be. He would find me. I mean, he would go out of his way to find me like I was like a project of his. Um, and a it, good project. Yeah, I mean, he, he, wasn't trying like to, he wasn't trying to annoy you. Right. He, he just was, he cared. He never got me with like, he always gave me an opportunity to throw whatever I had on me away before he uh, pat me down. He gave me, you know, he was just trying to get me off the streets because my arms, I had cellulitis so bad. And he just took an interest in me and, you know, you're better than this. And to then it was like, oh gosh, he was the worst. You know, like he just, you yeah. know, you don't look at the police. And now in hindsight, it's like. He was uh, your God, angel. God used him to. Yeah. Uh, saved my life. So he arrested me the last time. And I remember being loaded in the police station. And I said, I'm so sick of seeing you put me in treatment till I'm off DOC, Department of Corrections. Uh, so I don't have to see your face anymore. And he's like, oh, so you'll agree to go to treatment? And I was like, yep. And he signed me up to a secular program, 90 days in Spokane. Right. And uh, I went to jail for two weeks. And then I was shipped to that treatment center. And um, it was really interesting. They gave chapel every night. You had to choose to go to something. And I would go to chapel, and I would hear them talk about, like, the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, women would come in and preach to us and talk about how they were sitting right where we were sitting. And I just got some—it's a behavioral modification place, but it taught me how to have 
the simple social skills I didn't have from being on the streets that long. And in the same way, it was like chapel every night. I would just call my grandpa at night and I would say, man, I'm going to leave here in 90 days and I'm going to die out there if I go out there again. I need something more. And um, so he uh, said he knew of a place called Teen Challenge Mm -hmm. um, and that uh, him and David Wilkerson were up and coming around the same time and that he would check into it and try to get me there. So he got all the things lined up and I called Teen Challenge and Graham and um, they... uh, I went to that program. I stayed for a year, and God changed my life. I stayed on as an intern after that and then for another year. And then after that, I was staff as an outreach coordinator where I met my husband, who also came out of addiction. And um, after that, we just saw a need in inpatient for people who had a real heart change and loved Jesus um, but didn't have anywhere to go and didn't have anybody to show them how to walk out all these great tools so they would relapse and come back. And I knew of Absolute Ministries because they had men's homes for 10 years, mm-hmm. transitional housing and mentoring, and we they never offered it for women. So when I heard that Cameron Burke was trying to launch a women's home, I uh, went out for the director position and was hired. So my husband and I launched the first women's home. So now we get to take women from all different inpatients, not just Teen Challenge, and we help them get jobs and transportation and just all those things that feel overwhelming when you leave inpatient, like... I'm a felon. Where do I get work? And when I get a job, how do I get there? Because I don't have a license. Mm -hmm. And so we get them jobs through relationships in the community. And um, we take them to and from work. They can use our cars if they have a license to get to and from work. And we house them. It's amazing. um, Just the opportunity that we can. Because there are times, and and we've just about three minutes left, so I want to... There are times, though, family, they burn the bridges with the family. And and in many ways, uh, ministries like Absolute Ministries become a family when there isn't one. Yeah, yep. And that's that's so important, isn't Mm -hmm. it, that there's that... Those relationships built so that there's that stability that somebody can have. I've got... I may not have my mom and dad or a brother right. or sister, but I've got yes. Tiffany. I've got mm-hmm. Jason, and, and, you know, they're my best yeah. friends. So we actually call the absolute family, and a lot of the women, more than half, don't have any family where they won't talk to them. And so we just do life with them as absolute. You know, they go to we take them to church or get them involved with people that we know, and we hang out, go to the movies and bowling, and they go to dinner with my husband and I, and uh, it is like a big family. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Well, as I mentioned earlier, there are people here that have loved ones who are in addictions mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. We've got two minutes left. Encourage them today. Yeah, so uh, just keep praying. I mean, when it seems like you uh, they're, they're not coming out of it or there's no hope, uh, don't give up hope. Um, I was that person. And um, then it's God loves to use the no ways. You know, and so um, when you think that there's no way for your kids or your loved ones, just know, like, God, it only takes a minute. Um, Like I said, my Facebook post of desperation for me not to go to jail. He used that minute to change my whole life Um, Mm. because I didn't want to I didn't want to see that police officer anymore, go to jail anymore. And even though my motives were wrong, he still used that to catapult me into a treatment center that catapulted me into it. So you just never know. Yeah. You know, it could be the 10th time in treatment, but uh, God will get a hold of them. Well, he can. Mm-hmm. And uh, for those parents and, and those loved ones who who are dealing with that, you know, I always say that God is faithful. Right. He is always faithful. Yes. 
even when as a parent or as a as a someone who loves someone where you've set boundaries or you can no longer relate mm-hmm. to them, you know that God is not finished with that right. person. And yep. he's going to put somebody there, mm-hmm. someone like Absolute Ministries, someone right. like Teen Challenge, someone yeah. like whomever, who are going to be able to speak into that life. And there's those resources available yep. and that God can use them. Yeah. Yep. My mom, she uh, lost one kid to addiction. And, and then there's me. And she says her thing is that um, no matter how it turns out, and it might not always turn out the way you want it to, God is faithful and he is good. And um, he will see you through. He will. He will very much. Well, Tiffany, I want to thank you for joining me today on Heart of the City. Incredible story. God is good. God is faithful all the time. He's never going to give up on people, even when family may. That's right. And uh, I thank you for sharing your story today. If you want to know more or contact Tiffany, you can go to absoluteministries.org. Thank you, Tiffany. Thank you. been listening to this 820 AM, the word special heart of the city. For more information on how your pastor or your ministry can be featured on 820 AM, the word call Chuck Olmstead 206-269-6216 or go to thewordseattle.com.